0: Coming in as Bloom, Gillitha excited it, and
1: got scores! And over at that flame bench, there's all kinds of excitement going on there. Score!
0: Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's do it. Happy 2024. Hopefully, you had a great New Year's weekend. And we are underway in 2024. It is Tuesday, January 2nd with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. It's Pat Steinberg. Welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors. We are underway on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. As uh, we've got a whole year of flame stock ahead of us. Another year ahead. Um, again, hopefully it was a safe New Year's for you. And uh, we are well underway. Hello,
1: Vicks. Happy New Year. Hello, Patrick. I haven't seen you since last year. Is that the joke you were looking for? Because <sighs> nope. you're kind of leaning into one no, there. I I didn't, I didn't,
0: no, I did not want you to do
1: that. I didn't really want to do it. You didn't. And yet anyway. here we are.
0: Let's uh, kick off the week and let's kick off a new calendar year going inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local, find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op. Wine, spirits, beer today. And with the new year officially upon us, my friend, we are still waiting on some big flames decisions. And, you know, I I was thinking because on Sunday during the 4-3 win over Philadelphia to wrap up 2023... I thought it was quality win for the Flames, and I thought a big reason for the win that didn't show up on the score sheet was the pairing of Chris Tanev and, and Noah Hannafin. I thought they had a dynamite hockey game. Um, uh, Tanev made four or five exit passes or or uh, breakout passes from his own zone that were just bonkers, as he is prone to do. Under pressure, See something that even we, from our, like, things are easy to see oh, for yeah. us from up top. You're like, well, why I mean, didn't he just do that? He had all that room there. Well, of course we see it because it's it's real easy from 80 feet or whatever it is. But at ice level, not so easy. But Chris Tanev saw him and was able to get him through. You're just like, that is a bonkers play. And sometimes you're like, I didn't even see that from upstairs. Not like I've got this um, next level hockey mind. I'm just saying that it's easier for us upstairs.
1: I'm an NHLer from up top.
0: Oh. I'm The not. way
1: it all breaks down.
0: But I'm like an AHLer from up top.
1: It just affords you a vantage point and a view that is truly unique with the uh, 31 other buildings, I think, at this point right now. And it just plays develop so slow. You can see exactly where all 10 players are on the ice exactly at any given moment. You yep. see lanes, and then you go sit down in a corner and watch that thing happen in real time you got a fraction of a second to decide to pass it to an area where yeah. there may or may not be a guy because you can't see through six bodies.
0: My point is, is that I thought Tanev had a great game. I thought Hannafin yeah. had a great game. They were very strong. And I was thinking about it because that was the one pairing that stayed together as the Flames juggled up their pairings. Ryan Huska kept Hannafin and Tanev together. But for most of the game, Rasmus Anderson played with Dennis Gilbert and Mackenzie Wieger played with Jordan Osterley. There were some stretches where uh, where Anderson and Wieger were together which has Uyghur playing the left side and the right side in the same
1: game. Good on him. Adaptability.
0: Um, It just got me thinking, what would life look like without Tanev and Hannafin on
1: this team? Why you got to do that on day one in 2024? Because that is a... It's a scary thought, man. And the reason
0: I do it is because they were so good and we're starting a new year and and we're moving more and more into the pocket where these decisions are going to be made in the next couple of months, next number of weeks. And because they were so good in the final game of 2023 and because the midway mark is fastly approaching, it just, it really got me thinking. I've been thinking about it since Sunday night. Like, man, what would this, and, and I just, there are so many people clamoring for moves, right? And I am, I'm one of them who fully believes that the Flames should be trying to maximize in trades their pending UFAs. Right. I fully believe that moving Tanev, Hannafin, and Lindholm is the approach for the Flames here. But in saying that, I if you are on board where I am, I think you also have to prepare yourself for what things are going to look like. Because if you take away those two, here's what you're taking away from the Flames roster. You're taking away their number one pairing in terms of minutes played together. I'm not suggesting they have been straight up their number one pairing because I think that you could make a pretty good argument that uh, Anderson and and Uyghur win together could be their number one pairing. Minutes-wise, they probably are. But analytically, Hannafin Tanev has been Calgary's best pairing uh, by a large margin, in fact. They are number one on the team for expected goals, both at Money Puck and at Natural Statric, who have slightly different formulas for um, calculating expected goals. In terms of the league, Natural Statric has that pairing 29th overall. Money Puck has them 32nd overall in terms of expected goals, but that's by far the best on the team. Uh, They are by far the best possession pairing on the team. You take a look at their deployment, they are getting way more defensive starts than any other pairing is because that's what happens when Chris Tanev's on the ice and they get a lot of really difficult matchups in shutdown roles against some of the best best players on the other team so you take all that away if you're on hashtag team tank you're probably liking it because even if they bring back players that could play now in a deal for Hannafin and or in a deal for Tanev this team's going to take a significant step back in terms of the way they defend and the way that they exit their zone if you don't have Tan and Hannafin. And so I guess, as I said, I'm very much one of the people who believes moving these UFAs is an opportunity the Flames cannot pass up. But I also think it's important to prepare yourself for the reality of, for the rest of this season, that's going to be a real hit. And that's not a knock on Lindholm, But I think they've got more depth to make up for a Lindholm trade than they do making up for trading their best, potentially their best pairing this season.
1: I'm going to throw one more stat at you. You covered basically everything that I had researched, so I thank you for that and leaving me with just this one little nugget. They have a 2.25 expected goals against per 60 minutes. So if you could magically somehow roll them out at even strength for an entirety of a game you're expecting just 2.25 goals to hit the back of your net. The Flames, as a whole, this team averaged 3.07, and that's with their expected goals of 2.25 already factored in. So that pairing alone versus the rest of the team is almost a goal per game less when that duo is on the ice playing defense for the Calgary Flames, and that's massive. So then you ask the question, what does this team look like without them? Well, you're removing... I mean, you made the very strong argument that they've been Calgary's best pair this season, and I'm not going to necessarily fight you on that one too much. So suddenly you're asking players already in the organization to step up and fill roles that might be over their head a little bit. And maybe you get some reinforcements from the Calgary Wranglers and you try out a kid like Ilya Solovyov, Not Ilya. Yeah. Ilya. I always confuse him and Roman Solovyov, who used to be a scout for us at future consideration. Uh, So it's really problematic for me. Um, so maybe you give him a bit more opportunity, but then you've got a guy and this is no disrespect to him, but you either have Osterly or D. Simone, or I really like Gilbert of late, but you've got one of those two others asked to step into more of a full-time role, or at least a platoon situation like we've seen. But at the end of the day, all it is is it elevates players into more minutes, into more situations. And we all know what kind of security blanket Chris Tanev is with whoever he's playing with. And when you just happen to have him with Noah Hannafin, who's been great in his own right, with and without Chris Tanev. It's just a big ask for the rest of the team to stay competitive when you're losing 20 to 25 minutes a night from those two guys because they've just been so key to that blue line.
0: Yeah, and and again, if you're a hashtag team tank person, then you're really all for this. And I'm not a team tank person. I'm a team maximize or team capitalize. Like, if you're Craig Conroy... You've been put in a very unique situation as a first-time general manager. Not necessarily an enviable
1: situation, but a unique situation. That's a good differentiating kind of phrase to have there because he's in a tough spot. He is, absolutely. But I'll also
0: say that not very many GMs enter their first job with the type of opportunity that he has in front of them. And the fact that, Chris Tannev, Noah Hannafin, and Elias Lindholm, all three of those guys will be absolutely coveted by teams around the league and will be absolutely near the top of many trade boards around the league. That's an opportunity that most guys don't get in their first year. Now, you got to maximize on the trades and it's a lot of stress and it's a lot of work trying to maximize those trades. But I guess what I'm saying is, I just think it's an opportunity that if you're the Flames And if you're Craig Conroy, however many points back of a playoff spot, with however many teams they have to jump, and with whatever the realistic chances of them making the playoffs are, it just feels like an opportunity that you can't miss and can't pass up. And so, even though you'll take a big hit, especially in season with Hannafin and Lindholm sorry, Hannafin and Tanev no longer (laughs) being on the team and no longer being. I think your most steady and reliable pairing, I still think it's something you got to do.
1: Absolutely. And you want to go back to the the Craig Conroy situation, situation conversation, pardon me, about what it, it's a hard spot, but it's a unique spot. Going back from the time he was hired, he's been afforded an opportunity to completely reshape this team to his own vision. He's got a ball of clay that he's ready to mold. And we saw that a little bit with the Tanev deal. Maybe not so much with the Zadorov deal, but you that mean one to fully deal. or to fully deal. Sorry, I don't me. mean to correct you. No, please point. do. Whenever I do something like that, please do. Zadorov wasn't quite the same situation, but you needed to move him. Now you've got three pieces heading into the trade deadline that might end up in the top five, if not certainly the top ten on trade boards universally. It's a real opportunity to add some youth. If you go want to go that way to the Calgary Flames, at the very least you're going to add a plenty of assets. And if you're able to add young players on top of that as well, like we saw in Sharon Govich coming back in the Toffoli trade, you've got ample opportunity for Craig Conroy to reshape this Calgary Flames team in your vision. But man, is it ever going to hurt in the short term? Because you don't just replace Chris Tanev and you don't just replace a guy like Noah Hannafin.
0: Um, Now, a few things that I think could make it more exciting. Number one, you mentioned Solovyov. So there's a guy that the Flames, as as Craig Conroy told us when he moved Nikita Zadorov to Vancouver. And I know that solovyov has been sent back to the American League, but as of right now, coaching staff isn't comfortable playing Solovyov on an everyday basis. So the Flames are going to play Solovyov in the American League. Big, high-leverage minutes down there. He's basically their number one defenseman yeah. down there right now. Um, so you've got Solovyov who will get, A real run at being an everyday NHLer, and you'll see a little bit more what he's all about and learn a little bit more about what he can do at the highest level. At some point, Jeremy Poirier is going to get that opportunity as he recovers. Now, he's still recovering and still a ways out, but even if you could get him into four or five games in March and April, that would be exciting if you're a Flames fan. See what the growth, what type of growth we've seen from Poirier in his overall game. I do not believe that the door is closed on Oliver Shillington returning to action sometime this year. I, I think, I think I, I've got a pretty good feeling that Shillington is going to be able to return at some point this year. So as we move into the new year, I, I don't think that story is one to forget about. Shillington is still skating with the team. He is still working out at team facilities ever since we saw him on the ice at Max Bell, whatever that was a month and a half ago, you know, that, that hasn't changed. Shillington is still working and, and being kind of involved in in more sanctioned NHL activities, supposed to work it out by himself. So I've got a pretty good feeling that at some point we'll see Shillington. So that's, that's something to keep an eye on. So all those things combined, I think that, yes, it'll hurt to see Hannafin and Tanev move, but I, there are things organizationally to be excited about. And also don't forget that you could be talking about a young defenseman or two that could come back right. in a deal that you could get a look at as well. So it's not the end of the world. It is going to be a big subtraction if they go down this road from the on-ice product right now. But I don't think it'll come without a little bit of excitement too because it will give the opportunity organizationally to others it maybe you'll give the opportunity to somebody else like say that they I, I just off the top of my head say that they made a move and uh, it's it's Los Angeles and you move back a Brant uh, you bring back a Brant Clark or cool. somebody like that that's yeah. just off the top of yeah. my head i'm not saying that's what i'm not saying that's that's likely or anything but like what if you could get a defenseman like Brant Clark or of that level a guy who is not at the NHL right now, NHL level right now, but is a good prospect and is on a team that is knocking on a Stanley Cup door and is buried. What about a guy like Clark? What about another player like that? And now with a much more open door with the Flames, that guy comes in and plays NHL minutes for the rest of the year. There's some excitement that comes along with that too.
1: That is the... Other than the actual returns themselves, that is the biggest sort of sense of excitement that would come with moving two guys that are inarguably your best defensive pair before or at the NHL trade deadline because we all know what an injection of excitement brought when Jacob Pelche came up last season. We saw it at the tail end of the season when Coronado and uh, Dustin Wolf yep. made their NHL debut. And Pelche came
0: back, remember? That game, yep. that game too?
1: And we've seen it with Connor Zary and Pospisil this season. What, I mean, fans that are on team tank want to see what these guys can do at the NHL level. And we've seen a lot of positive returns in what they're able to do at the NHL level. So if you suddenly free up two spots on your blue line, And if you happen to bring back a blue-chip defense prospect that's probably not ready for full-time duty, but you can work him into some NHL games, both so you can see where he's at in his development, and he can see where he's at in his development, engaging his game to, what do I need to do in the offseason to become a full-time member of the Flames next season? That's where the excitement comes from, but that excitement isn't going to translate necessarily into wins, so you've got to be prepared that when you do move a Hannafin and a Tanev, if and when, I guess I should say, because nothing's done until it's done. No, absolutely not. But that's where the excitement's going to come from, because it's certainly not going to come from, in my opinion, a three or four game winning streak once those guys are gone, I think. I think once you've removed those two players from your team and if you're not bringing back a player that has similar impact, and to be perfectly honest, what team is looking to trade a player away that could help them win? while acquiring one of Tanev or Hannafin. That's not the route that these trades are going to go. It's going to be futures deals. It's going to be young prospects that come back to the Calgary Flames if and when that sort of return is afforded. So you've got to have something to energize and it's going to be getting a look at some of the prospects, I think, that might be ready to take the next step.
0: Man, I mean, if you're talking about Brant Clark or a player
1: of that caliber,
0: I mean, that's he's NHL ready right now, just not NHL ready on the LA Kings. You know what I'm saying? Like... Do the Kings have the ability to put a 20-year-old defenseman in every night with the ups and downs that go along with a 20-year-old defenseman? Maybe not, because the Kings are probably, especially in a... Because he's not going to be displacing Anderson or Doughty or some of the names that are further... So, but is he better served as a top pair guy in Ontario or a third pair guy who makes mistakes on a cup-contending team in L.A.? Probably the former. Whereas if you're the Flames and you've moved on from a couple of guys... Well, now, Suddenly, now all of a sudden Clark is playing top four minutes in the NHL. He's probably, skilled, and I'm again, I am just using this guy as an example. I have no idea if the Kings would part with him. I have no idea if the Flames would be interested in him. And I have no idea if the Kings are interested in any of Calgary's players. I'm just saying this is one of the guys that we have spitballed about before because he's a good player, a good prospect, who's not playing in the NHL on a team that believes they can win a cup. So a guy of that caliber name anybody else uh billy billy bean or whatever those type of caliber players i think probably are nhl ready but just not ready on a contending team whereas if the doors open on a flames team in february march and april could be a really good
1: opportunity to see what they've got well and to be fair and to be honest if you're removing and antenna from your blue line core I figure there's two guys left on that Flames defense that should be put in pen in the lineup night in, night out. And so you're afforded the luxury to look at player X or defenseman Y for short stretches or longer stretches if they show that they've earned that ice time. You have that opportunity to cycle through some younger players and maybe some of the veterans you still have to alleviate or put those prospects into better spots and better slotting. That's where the excitement would come from. Because again, it's certainly going to be a situation where if you're icing a bunch of defensemen that you're not entirely sold on, it's going to be tough night in, night out to, to put up 60 minutes and come away with a 2-1 win or a 3-2 win or whatever it happens to be. But you get the opportunity to see what those defensemen are all about, both the prospects and the guys you might be looking at bringing back next year as well. And I also think it's a good opportunity to
0: evaluate a guy like Dennis Gilbert in yep. a more uh, elevated role and see whether or not he's a guy that could be worthy of another contract. I'm very much on team, team re-sign yep. Dennis Gilbert, but that could give you more uh, a little more intel on him. Is Nick D. Simone an everyday NHLer? You get a little bit more ability to, to see that for a guy who's been a real nice story this year, but still is in and out of the lineup. Like, I, for instance, I don't think D. Simone is playing Tuesday night in Minnesota. I think it'll be Osterly again. So, you know, just things like that that you could also evaluate. A few texts, 960, 960, that we can uh, respond to. Uh, this says. Uh, The team still isn't good with Tanev and Hannafin. As you've already made clear, let's not worry too much about losing them. Uh, This says from Brenda, uh, geez, Pat, why'd you have to be such a buzzkill? Happy new year. Uh, Yeah, I'm not trying to be a buzzkill. Just trying to set expectations as the new year begins. Uh, This says nothing wrong finding out what your uh, farm system has. Are the flames afraid to show this lack of depth? No, I don't think so. I think, I think that they are waiting to make the right trade. I think Craig Conroy is willing to wait to get the best return in a trade. I he he is very I fully believe he's willing to push it to March 8th to make sure that the yep. best possible return comes back for these three and with no disrespect to Nikita Zadorov these are the three that they need to be very, very firm on. There were other things that went into the Zadorov trade. They needed to make that move in an expedited fashion because the trade request and all of the noise that went around with Zadorov had that gone on much longer, I think it could have been a real negative distraction. That's all I'll say. They needed to move that or to get that done in a more expedited fashion. The way Lindholm, Hannafin, Tanev, no chance right now these guys are a distraction. They... they everybody thinks that Lindholm is being affected by all of this outside noise, which might be true, but he is still out there every night, whether it's as effective as usual. There's no checked out nature. There's no, um, this guy's not dogging it. He still leaves it out there every single shift and is still is playing those taxing defensive minutes as well as he ever has. So, Right now, you've got three guys that you're fine keeping as long as you need. And if that means you can maximize these deals. So, no, I I don't think they're afraid of showing a lack of depth. I just think they're trying to maximize moves.
1: Yeah, they're just showing patience because you're not going to make a move for the sake of seeing some of these players yet at the expense of a higher return for dealing the likes of Lindholm, Hannafin, or Tanev. Uh,
0: this says, I'm not so worried about the returns as I believe the real juice will be in the, their own draft pick when these guys move. Get me some picks and I'm happy. No players unless it's the balanced salary or true blue chips. Uh, this says, uh, isn't Hannafin the goal? Young and highly skilled. Isn't moving him just for the sake of moving him a risk? Why not just sign him? Well, a few things there. You're not moving him just for the sake of moving them. You're moving him to hit a home run in a trade, which I think the flames have the ability to do a B you're moving him because either he's not cool signing, right? Or to sign him, you're going to have to overpay to an extent you're not comfortable in doing. And the overpay doesn't outweigh the reward that a trade would. So that's why you're trading Hannafin, not for the sake of him, not and, for the sake of it rather.
1: And if you're going to move these three players and it's strictly futures deals, Are you going to be competitive for the first part of that contract that you're sending out to Noah Hannafin as well? Because by the time you're Mm -hmm. ready to challenge again, you could be looking at a 31 or 32 year old Noah Hannafin, which I'm no means calling old because I'm much older than that already. But does he fit the scope of what you're trying to accomplish in the short term and where will he be? when you are ready to use him to the best of his abilities.
0: Uh, this says, forgive me, Pat, but uh, could you please refresh my memory on Jeremy Poirier? What was the nature of the injury and when's the expected return date? So what happened was,
1: I think it was sometime in November. in the ca- On a California road trip, was it not? I
0: believe so, yeah. Well, which they do a lot of on that team. <laughs> Fair but, enough. Touche. Um, <laughs> Pacific Division travel. But uh, he took a skate to the upper arm. I believe so, yeah. Uh, which is, suit like, there's... What happens when you take a skate to the upper arm, that's one of the most important arteries. And there's a lot that goes on in your upper arm. Like it's like there, your femoral artery, and obviously the ones in the neck that are like the most important in the body. And so when you get a cut as deep as his was, it takes a long time and you need to be super cautious on it to make sure that it's not how you're moving. Exactly. It's got to be immobilized and you've got to be, like fully confident that like when it's healed, it's healed. There's no risk of infection. uh, And that it's like, there's no risk of it getting opened up again, or like, it's gotta be 110%. It's that, it's that important. So that's what happened. And we're probably talking like February, March for when Poirier might be able to return. But that being said, if they've moved on from a couple defensemen, that means that a door could be opened when he, gets back into the American League, gets some games in, and all of a sudden might be ready for that opportunity at the highest level.
1: And he's one that I'm definitely curious in seeing. I saw him in his draft year in St. John. I've seen him in Penticton. I've seen him in the AHL. And where he was in St. John to where he was prior to the injury in terms of just his ability to defend, because that's always been the question mark, is there's no second-guessing or you questioning what he's able to do in the offensive zone and how dynamic an offensive defenseman he is. He's made great strides at shoring up his weaknesses, and this injury is incredibly unfortunate, particularly at his time of development, and you wish him a full 100% recovery. I'm not even going to say a speedy recovery because, as you mentioned, this isn't something that you rush or, or hope that you come back earlier than you know the projection or what have you. But he is certainly one I would want to see at the tail end of this season in the NHL, just to see what he's able to do out there on the ice it's at the NHL level.
0: Dylan Wright, so you guys telling me that bringing back prospects and pink picks won't bring them a cup this season? Damn, I'm no longer team tank. Your sarcasm is
1: glad we could convert thick,
0: Dylan. Uh this is assuming Hannafin would stay. What did they gain by trading him? It seems to me he fits the next win window age-wise. And what are the chances of any prospect coming back being better than him? A couple of things. Number one, again, he he backed away from a big offer. So that needs to be, let's not forget that he backed away from a deal that was like in excess of 55 million or in the 55 million dollar range. So there was that. It wasn't just the flames who backed off that deal that we believe was close. It was the Hannafin side too. So that needs to be taken account It taken into account. Number two, I think you might be underestimating what a guy like Hannafin could net on the open market. Like look what Boston gave up to bring in Hampus, Hampus Lindholm. Lindholm. I think that's the type of return ballpark return you could be looking at to, uh, in, in moving Hannafin, which would be the, um, which would be the same answer that I get, or, or I give to Curtis and Ogden. It says, guys, I wouldn't trade 55. He's young. He's solid. I would try to sound him for two or three years at whatever the price I'm sure he's worth it. He's shown that he possibly does want to stay here. I would not risk trading him. Maybe my term is low, but I think the Flames would be really foolish to trade him unless it's a top, top defenseman or young player coming in. First of all, Curtis, no chance he's signing for two no. or three years. This he's signing seven for seven or eight. or eight. No, like it is seven or eight, no questions asked. So you're not getting him for two or three. There's like a next to zero chance that's happening. Number two, um, again, he backed away from a
1: deal. It's not this NHL year. 24 where you can just pick whichever player you want to sign yeah. at whatever term and and dollar value.
0: So there's just a few of the texts. Oh, and then one more. I wanted to read this one. It says, um, I still don't fully understand the Shillington scenario. Uh, that's quite a long time for a player to be away from the game. It is. It's been more than 18 months yep. since he's been gone. Um, but he's going through a lot. And I got to give the Flames a ton of credit for the way they've handled this. Um, even Even this year when... We thought Oliver was close. We thought he was going to be here for training camp. He was going to be. He was in some of the promo videos leading up, and then when it was time for day one of on ice sessions, he just wasn't ready. And he's there's he's dealing with a lot in the mental health space. He's dealing uh, with with some real messed up stuff, and it's been a lot for him. And the Flames, I believe, have handled this in a very, very um, progressive way in a very, very uh, empathetic way. And, and I think they have done exactly what you'd want to see a pro sports team do with a guy going through what Oliver has been going through the last 18 months or so. Um, so, yeah, as I said, I still have a good feeling that he will return to action at some point this year. And I still believe that door is very much open, but That is the situation when it comes to him, is that it's been a really, really rough road mentally. There have been some really messed up demons that he's been dealing with, and that'll be the best part if he does return this year, is that it means that the demons are behind him enough and have been dealt with enough that he's ready to come back and play the sport he loves. Because he, I know this for a fact, he wants to be with his teammates, he wants to be playing, and... It just, what is going on hasn't allowed him to play. And so, I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what level he's playing at. From a straight-up personal standpoint, him being back on the ice at a practice or him being back on the ice in a game this season would mean that he's come so far in what has been a hell of a battle for him.
1: We just did, on a previous segment, a top five uh, top five moments for the Calgary Flames in 2023. And if and when Oliver Shillington is able to return, I'd have to wager that that one's going to register in the top five Flames moments of 2024. And Rick, re- this situation isn't linear. It doesn't go step one, step two, step three, step four. It's not recovering from a broken leg or anything like that. And as you mentioned, the Flames as an organization have really taken a positive, progressive approach on this with Oliver Shillington, Uh, a tip of the hat to them. And, you know, I can't wait. If he is able to return, can't wait to see him on the ice. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg.
0: We are well underway this hour on Flamestock, and that is your look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West, Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op, shop online or in store today
1: talking your team right now flames talk is on sportsnet 960 the fan
0: this hour continues with Steinberg and Aaron Vickers that was a, a giant monkey off the back for Jonathan Huberto on Sunday night hey and I know that uh no one should be planning parades or or given rounds of applause for a guy snapping a pointless drought at 12 and no one's suggesting they should but when we talk about Jonathan not scoring all the time, like we do, or like we have rather, uh, also should mention when he does pick up a big Only point and, and did pick up a big point. It was uh, it was not a cheap secondary assist on a empty netter. It was a really nice cross-seam pass on the go-ahead goal and maybe the most important goal of the game. Um, I know that Blake Coleman's empty netter was the game winner, but Dennis Gilbert's go-ahead goal was the one that set the flames on course for the rest of the night. And I thought Jonathan was dangerous. I thought Huberdeau was dangerous against the Flyers. So as we keep saying, with this situation, baby steps are needed. And I thought that was a baby step forward against Philadelphia on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair, and I, I'm glad that you're prefacing this with let's not plan a parade or anything, because I think it's still too early to declare this one a win, his return to align with Elias Lindholm and Yegor Sharangovich. But the early returns look positive. It looked like there was a lot more chemistry this time around. Again, you mentioned the assist on the Gilbert goal. That was a beautiful pass. That was more, in my mind, of a not to call him old, but a vintage Jonathan Huberto type play where you're threading it from north to, or sorry, mm-hmm. east to west and putting a guy that's not necessarily in a scoring opportunity into a prime area to finish, which Gilbert did. And just generally, I think we've seen over the course of the last couple of games, Jonathan Huberto's game trending in a more positive direction, which predates him returning to this line. So the asterisk goes, yeah, he still only has one point in 13 games and has gone 18 straight without a goal. But I think seeing him back with Lindholm and Sharon Govich was a positive step in him becoming a more consistent offensive threat for this team.
0: Uh, here's uh, assistant coach Dan Lambert uh, talked to Derek Wills on Tuesday morning for part of our coaches show on Flames warmup and, and talked a little bit about Jonathan Huberto and, and the way his game has gone of
1: late. I feel like he's, uh, he's, he's finding people more coming in late. He's, he's, you know, he's been creating some offense. They don't always turn into goals. And, and when when things are going well, they usually do and unfortunately for Jonathan, you know, they haven't been, uh, for us this year. Um, but you know, like you said, at any given time, when they start going in, hopefully they just come in bunches and, and I think Jonathan has, has, uh, played well recently where he has created offense, uh, whether it's for himself or for his line mates or for the deep pairing that he's playing with. So, uh, you know, we're we're all uh, hopeful, and and uh, and I'm sure nobody more than than Hubie uh, as far as uh, hoping that some of those start going in more.
0: So that's uh, Dan Lambert on Jonathan Huberdeau's game, Flames assistant coach, and maybe the most promising part of what we saw Sunday, not just individually from Huberdeau, but as a line. First time, as you mentioned, that we've seen Huberdeau with Lindholm and Sharon Govich since October when it didn't work, and it worked. I thought it would. I thought offensively especially, defensively maybe a couple of uh, miscues that led to some quality opportunities the other way, but offensively it worked. They were up over 70% on their 5-on-5 possession via shot share. The a natural stat trick scoring chances were 7-5 in favor of that line when they were on the ice. So, yeah, they gave up a little bit too much on the other side, but the fact that they generated offensively and the fact that, they have not really shown much offensive chemistry at all in prior stints together. That, to me, was, was a significant positive.
1: Yeah, that's the biggest element for me that goes kind of beyond the expected goals for percentage and even the possession numbers that you had mentioned is the fact that they looked a lot more in sync together than we've seen them before. And this is, we can even exclude Sharon Govich from this conversation to a degree for me because we've seen Huberto and Lindholm together. It's been tried a lot. And with very insignificant Middling returns, in that's a, that's a great way to put it. So the fact that they were able to be reunited, and I said this before, prior to prior to the game, where I think this might be more putting Huberto with Sharon Govich, who's been your best forward at least from a production standpoint in the month of December, and Huberto, of course, didn't have a point until that assist on Gilbert's goal in the month of December, but just seeing Huberto and Lindholm kind of connect a little bit more. There's a little more chemistry there than I think we've seen in previous attempts. And then layering in Sharon Govich on top of it again, one game. Let's not plan the parade as you suggested, but at least we saw something that led you to believe there might be more here to, to fish out.
0: And layering on top of that, the other line that was reunited Also really good. Uh, Six points combined, not all together on the same line. Like it wasn't, they weren't on the ice together for all six of these points, but the individuals of Michael Backlund, Blake Coleman, and Andrew Mangipani combined for six points. Coleman had a goal and an assist in his 500th NHL game. Mangiapane had three primary assists, including the primary on the game winner, Coleman into an empty net uh and the you know the beauty that Michael Backlund scored to tie it I wonder what happens if Backlund doesn't tie that game late in the second period on a great no-looker cool. from Manjapani like that was that's a goal scorer's pass and what I mean by that is he was looking shoot the entire way and knowing Manchapani in that situation I think even if you're Sam Erson you're like okay this guy's gonna shoot it because he looked like he was ready to let that fly and he had, I think it was Coleman on the other side that would have been the, the pass across. Doesn't go there on the the poor line change from Philly and instead finds Backlund, the trailer, in the high slot, but complete no look. And Backlund did not hesitate, did not give Erson a second, half a second to get set. He blasted that thing as a one-timer and put it perfectly. Like, that was was a hell of a goal. And it looked like those three guys played together before.
1: Yeah, it looked like they had a little bit of chemistry. It's funny going from Huberto to Mangiapane in this conversation because Huberto was second on the team, according to Natural stat Trick in individual expected goals created. Second only to Mangiapane. And for my money, that's as good as he's looked this season. Again, three helpers, Three points against Philadelphia. He'd entered that game with three points in 12 of the other December games, so he doubled his monthly output. As much as we want to talk about Jonathan Huberto and how he went all the games in December until the New Year's Eve game on December 31st before getting his point. Well, Mangiapane only had three goals in, or three points, pardon me, in the 12 other December games. Doubles his output again. He still hasn't scored an eight, and only has one in his past 18 games. But putting Mangiapane back with Backlund and Coleman. Looked like it was the old cliche of riding a bike. You just don't forget how to play with Coleman and Backlund. That line looked reunited, reinvigorated. It looked like the line that we saw last season that led the NHL in expected goals for percentage just went right back to being the line that we knew that they were last season. Yeah,
0: and I don't think anybody, anybody was surprised in that respect. No. And just uh, finally, when talking positives from that win over Philly, Feels like the numbers are maybe starting to catch up to Jacob Markstrom. And what I mean by that is you and I have been very much on the same page that he's been pretty good for him all year. Has definitely yes. taken a step. Is he back to being a Vesda trophy runner up like he was two seasons ago? No. And and quite honestly, we, we may never see that again from Jacob. That, that's probably the high watermark of his NHL career. But he is much closer to the Jacob Markstrom that the Flames signed that had played two, three really good years in Vancouver before being signed. Like he's much closer to his career norms than his career low season last year. Um, and the numbers have been outstanding since he's come back from the finger injury. So he missed the two weeks with the broken finger. He's played five games. He'll start a sixth consecutive against Minnesota. And in the five games since he's been back, he's 3-2-0. and with a 9.31 save percentage, and in all five of those games, he's given the Flames a great opportunity to win. You can you can twist yourselves in knots like many did or some did uh, with the loss to Seattle that he let them down. I'm not going to bite on that because they scored once and jacob markstrom gave him an opportunity to win and i think in all five of the games since he's been back he's played at a very high level his overall save percentage has stayed steady at 904 now for the last pretty much since he's come back i think if he continues to play the way that he has since the the injury that overall number is going to climb as well i don't know it just feels like maybe those numbers are starting to catch up on jacob which is a real positive as well and he was even though he allowed three on, on Sunday, they don't win that game if he doesn't do what he does in the first 40 minutes of play.
1: Yeah, my opinion on Markstrom's season hasn't changed pre-injury to post-injury, even though, as you mentioned, he's got a 931 save percentage his last five games, the 202 goals against average. When he was at an 890 save percentage, I was still saying, I think that this guy has been Calgary's best player through the X number of games, whatever it was at that point. And now that he's up to 904, boosted by that 931 in the last five games, you're starting to see, as you mentioned, the numbers catch up to him in a, in a positive manner, a progression to what we the eye test has given versus yeah. what the stats say. And he's still in the top 96th percentile in the NHL in high danger save percentage at 859. The league average is now at 800. He's 59 points higher in high danger save percentage. Perhaps not ideal, but he's also in the top 85th in high-danger shots against. Ideal that the percentage, his percentage is so much higher, but you don't want to see him having to face so many high-danger chances. But when they so you're do saying pop up... you the
0: Flames up, are in the bottom well, just, 15th in terms of... With Markstrom. With Markstrom and, and, that,
1: and that's not per 60 or anything. That's just pure shot rate. So the goalies yeah. that are on the ice more, natural starters, will tend to face more high-danger sh- shots against but the fact that he's at an 8.59 save percentage in that front, you know, top six-ish in the NHL in terms of just number of goalies ahead of him. He's just, to me still remains one of calgary's best players this season
0: he's aaron vickers on twitter at Vickers. my name is pat steinberg there's a few positives from sunday's 2023 finale a 4-3 win over the philadelphia flyers thanks to taylor dingman our outstanding producer this hour as we start to wrap things up this hour has been the sports drive brought to you by calgary lock and safe did you know calgary lock and safe also fixes doors if you have one that needs it visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors